This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Distilled. You don't need to be a celebrity to look amazing. Get luxury grade denim with the perfect fit starting at just $75. Go to distilled.com slash badchristian right now and get $10 off your first pair. That's D-S-T-L-D.com slash badchristian for $10 off right now. Today's show is also sponsored by NatureBox. With over 100 delicious options to choose from, NatureBox delivers high-quality, healthy snacks right to your door. Head over to naturebox.com slash badchristian today and receive 50% off your first order. That's naturebox.com forward slash badchristian for half off today. Today's show is also sponsored by Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to find the perfect candidate? Zip Recruiter finds candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Right now, listeners can post jobs for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. What's up, knuckleheads? Welcome to the show. My name is Matt. I want to start today with a quote from good old Thomas Paine. And once he wrote, and I really like this, government, and even in its best state, is but a necessary evil, and in its worst state, an intolerable one. Love it. One thing I think we can all agree on, hopefully, is just simply the fact that we're all losing our minds all the time right now. Uh, it's quite interesting, but it boils down to something that I've, you know, it brings up a thought for me of something I've been saying for about 20 years, uh, and that is uh, politics suck. Screw, screw, pop, fuck politics. Why about that? Now, I've been claiming for about 20 years to be apolitical or politically agnostic, and I'll tell you why. Politics is largely a forum for those who want things reduced down to a simple yay or nay. Or to put it another way, uh, it's, a, it's the arena in which real issues and real ideas that real people care about get co-opted uh, by crooked people who seek power and their own personal interest. It's very childish and almost insulting, or is insulting, I think, the way this often plays out. So let's look, I'll give you two examples. One, refugees. Now, certainly, our government has a responsibility to maintain borders and security, but we also need and want to care for fellow human beings. Uh, So are these two opposed, though? Are they opposed? Are they opposites? Is it one or the other? It feels that way, but certainly not, and it's a false choice. If you boil that down, you get, uh, let's see, we have to choose either between safety and security or compassion and love. They're not mutually exclusive, clearly. Another example would be climate. Uh, I would think this one would be a layup that at least most people, very, very high percentage of people care about together, all care about the, uh, the earth. You'd think that that would be one that's kind of universal, but Politicians, again, uh, seeking votes and power at some point, co-opted environmentalism, polarized it. And now we've got a situation where right around 50% of people care about the planet. Uh, And certainly, again, that's not the case. That's not true. But politics have forced it into being so. Point is, politics often ruin legitimate causes. So caring for refugees is the latest, and I'm very upset about that and the way things are going right now. But we'll talk about that later uh, this week. Uh, the government is horribly ineffective. That's another point of why you shouldn't want them to do things for us. They should do the least things that, that, that we need from them, not the most things to solve every problem in society. If there's an issue that you care about, you should hope that it does not become politicized or polarized or partisan. Because if it does, then 
instantly, half of all people, without even thinking about it, will now be obligated to disagree with you. And so today, it's harder than ever to really be a free thinker. So we we don't so much arrive at our positions as we do adopt them. So here's my appeal. Don't just adopt your ideas. Don't try to belong to a team or a tribe. Uh, and how about this? If it's easy for me or other people to predict what your position will be on any given issue based on your political leanings, then you're probably a boring, somewhat close-minded and intellectually lazy person. I'd prefer to think that you and I are free thinkers and individuals that mostly all care about our country and the well-being of other individuals. Okay, so we're going to talk about this today with our guest, who I'm excited about. His name is Nicholas Sarwark, and he's the chairman of the National Libertarian Committee. So I think that'll be great. Uh, we'll be on in just a second. Let me tell you a couple of things before we get going, and that is Emory Concert shows February 17th and 18th and in Nashville and Atlanta. Tickets for that are $7. Devin's going to be there. Very excited about that. You can get those tickets at emorymusic.com. Also, you ever heard of the band Matt and Toby? That's right. I'm Matt. You know Toby. We're back. We have a new album that we're recording right now, and we're doing a tour with the Classic Crime in May. You can get tickets for that right now if you go to theclassiccrime.com. Uh, last thing, I'm working on another podcast. It's called the Stronger Marriages Podcast, and it's uh, about, obviously, marriage, domestic violence, and a bunch of issues there. It's a, uh, more of a higher-produced podcast, and you can find that on iTunes or go to strongermarriages.com forward slash podcast. All right, let's get to it. Kick it. Three. Two, one, Joey Spencer. Satan is a liar. Oh. Satan he tells is a, a liar. He tells the lies. The lies we love. The lies we believe in. Yeah. We love Satan. <laughs> Matt Christian Podcast. Woo. What's going on, guys? Tell me what's happening in your neighborhood. Well, I'm sick. I've been sick all day and oh, I've been damn. laying around all day. I woke up and like this whole side half of my face like my right side of my face was stopped up and i couldn't breathe and that's it's called just a been stroke is that what that is you can't feel the whole right side of your body <laughs> <laughs> I thought, here i was thinking i had the flu Damn was it. it a cold is it the flu is it viral <laughs> bacterial or is it neurological and we don't yeah. know <laughs> i have the flu i had the flu basically my heart hurts real bad and then the left side of my body didn't work anymore it's weird <laughs> i think it's the I think, I think it's the flu but uh so i'm totally sick and i and just been laying around doing nothing today and here's why I get so mad at my body. This is like the biggest disappointment in my life. If I feel this shitty and don't feel good, my throat hurts, my can't, I can't open my eyes, stuffy, all this stuff, you should at least get the, oh, man, I can't even eat, not even hungry. No, that part of the sickness avoids <laughs> me like a plague. I've been that munching all day. Sick as a I mean, dog, like, <laughs> hungry as hell. <laughs> I can't. It's awful. Like I was laying in bed kind of sore, and I was like, ah. Guess I kind of need some peanuts or <laughs> I need some snacks. So I was able to remain on on like a uh, low carb keto kind of diet. I, I didn't cheat or anything like that. A lot of times when I feel sick, I just I love bread. It's like my one of my favorite things in the whole world. And I just want to do like toast and butter and it's, I just love it. But I'm like, nope, I'm not going to. So I stayed away from it. I just had, you know, meat and cheeses and some vegetables and stuff like that. But it sucks that I don't get that benefit. Like Joey, you, I guess, do you think you get this? Do you get the like sickness, like flu-like stuff, the most of all of us? Because Matt, you don't really get sick too much, but I probably get it 
two times a year, three times a year. How, how often do you get sick, Joey? I don't, the flu stuff, not, I was going to say once every other year. Wow. You so get maybe colds I get more. every year. I get colds for sure. Yeah. But yeah, not flu. Like like fever and, you know, sick, can't get out of bed and all that stuff. I get it at least probably twice a year. I hadn't been sick since 2008, I'm pretty sure. What stuck out in your mind about 2008? I would got really sick. Yeah, he I was know, really sick like, that what, year. I know, but <laughs> like, mean? I, mean, I was, got super sick. I was in, we were on tour and I was in bed all day, every day. And we get out and come into the show and I got antibiotics and, you know, I was just limping, limping through life, like on my back for, for about four or five shows. Yeah. Ugh. And I, yeah. you know, I called now, Devin's now here, wife to get antibiotics, whatever, but I don't think that I've even had a cold since. Yeah. That was the, that was the sickest I've ever seen, Matt. Now here's, what's really funny about that story. I were, I believe when you were super sick, we were in um, Washington state, right? Well, we started, well, no, no, no. I got sick one time in like 2006 and we were in Spokane and I went to the doctor. Yeah, Spokane. Okay. And then okay. I got well, that's sick the time in New York City and Massachusetts yeah, yeah. Uh, in 2008 or nine. And I haven't, I literally haven't even had a cold since. Yeah. Well, so the time we were, the time we were in Spokane, Joey, this is really funny. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. So y'all know we've had Joel Green on the podcast and you know, he was our bass player and he's a little different thinking about stuff. So Matt is unbelievably sick, like so sick that at the Spokane show, Matt still plays the show. He, I think he went to the emergency room, yeah, emergency care the, or whatever, and got meds, got some meds and stuff like that, but came back and played the show with us. But he was so sick and weak that he had to sit down the entire time. So he just sat in a chair yeah, on the side stage. Yeah. Now, now here's what's funny. Uh, Joel, who was completely healthy, wanted to do that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not joking. I'm not joking. He was like, well, I mean, maybe we should, I should do that too. That's, that's cool. Like he was trying to say, it'd be cool if he could sit down too <laughs> over there. <laughs> but, and we were like, but Joel, I mean, we, we need to pick totally it up so for mad at him. For yeah. That. I was like, we need to pick it up for Matt because Matt's yeah. sick and can't do anything. So we need to jump around even harder and go crazy. And Joe was literally thinking, yeah, I, you know, I can, you know, maybe I can just hang out backstage and just play or whatever. Yeah. It, it's yeah, kind of an off so show. Funny. Like he was the way he was thinking. It was just so crazy. Same guy that when we were in Texas and it was a super, uh, sold out show and the stage was kind of small. He just played in the back room. Like yeah. he played in the green room. He sat in a chair. <laughs> we, we had we had in ears, and he just sat in a chair. Wireless. And, we had a wireless, wire, you know, wireless bass, bass rig and in ears, and we were in Spring, Texas, at Java Jazz, which is outside of Houston. And the stage was right. tiny. And the show's sold out. And it's hot and it's very and it's fun crazy. show. Like and you would not like, want to miss that show. Yeah, and so Joe's like, "Well, just give me a mic back there. I'll do a couple backup singing parts, and I'll just stand yeah. off stage <laughs> and play." And we're like, "Well, that's totally stupid, but." Yeah, yeah. If you want to do it, I guess we'll have a, we'll at least have a little more room on stage. And he stepped yeah. off stage and played the whole show in the green room. And the funniest thing was the, the, the guys in the other band's reaction and what they said to us when they, after the show, they're like, Hey, let me just ask you a question. It, why did y'all make Joel? <laughs> why y'all make Joel sit in the chair backstage? We said, we didn't. He, he, he forced his hand and made himself do that. He we didn't t- want him to do that. After that, he told me, he's like, you know, just to make sure the sound is right. Like if I have a wireless rig, I could like stand back at the soundboard during the show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, so Matt, Matt, why do you suspect that you don't get sick? Well, I, uh, he I haven't let himself. Mentally. I have some, I have some thoughts on it, but I, I cannot evidence-based support them so i don't want to sound like a crazy person but i do have a philosophy about sickness which is concede no territory to the enemy is my philosophy (laughs) so 
That sounds spiritual. There's there's about three ways you can look at look at it. Um, uh, uh, what the effect maybe maybe I'm just genetically lucky that I don't get sick. Uh, maybe it's because I'm not big on washing or hand washing or anything close to that. So I'm very immune right. to a lot of stuff. Um, maybe I, I'm so messed up in the head as Toby has alluded to before that I don't even realize that when I am sick is another possibility. Like, yeah, or you know, maybe you wake up in the morning and you say, by his stripes, you are healed. Right. I, well, I well, just, no, no, but know. my, what my theory on that real quick is that kids, your kids don't ever, like when they're sick, they often still want to play and sometimes yeah. they still do, even if they have a fever or obviously like an ear infection or anything like that. So I think Matt grew up not knowing what sick was. Kids are tired and they don't act tired because they don't, they Matt don't, doesn't they don't understand bring all the mental or emotion. No, listen, right. th- that's a really actually good point. And I think part of what it is, like I suppose germs pass through me, but I don't really pay any attention, which is part of my active mental cognitive strategy too, by the way, I don't want to concede that I'm sick when I even, if there's something there, and I think that actually helps you heal personally. And maybe that might sound a little fruity, but in the same way that a kid doesn't know when they're tired and they just want to keep playing and they start acting loopy. I mean, what I'm pointing to there is the fact that when you are in the mentality of sickness, you go, Oh, I know what this is. This is me being sick. And then you start altering everything about your behavior. I think that just makes you notice more and, and further reinforces the symptoms you have. And I think you just get into this whole mindset of, you know what, I better not do this. I better sit on the couch. I better. And I say, no, I won't give anything to the enemy sickness here that, that it doesn't pry from my fingers. So I'll still drink beer. I'll still eat what I want. I'll still go out. I'll make sure to live life to the fullest if I feel the slightest twinge of a symptom. And I actually think that I do believe there's a physiological uh, mental component, although I couldn't support it with an evidence-based or biological way. But I do believe there's something to that mindset where your whole body and all your cells and everything is just in uh, life mode, not preserve mode. And I think that that helps too. But maybe I just don't even know what it means to be sick. But I don't ever get sick. Well, here's one thing I think, too. I actually do. uh, There's something in me that kind of likes. Like, today I got to lay around Mm -hmm. and chill out a little bit. I watched, you know, House of Cards. You know, I couldn't really do anything. And there is something in me that goes, I'll go with this a little bit. Like, it is kind of fun in my brain to lay around a little bit and, and go that way. Like, that's why I'm wearing I'm wearing my Emory T-shirt right now because this sounds like an ad, but the Emory T-shirt is my favorite. Uh, it's so so comfortable. Like, I got one of these from off tour, and I wear it, you know, sometimes to cut grass or, or wear it around town or whatever because nobody knows I'm in Emory when I'm walking around town. But it's so comfortable. I love it. Now, here's the other thing I did today. I wore my distilled jeans, too, because they're so comfortable. Like, I was laying around the house. You know, I, I, I took a shower, and I was like, I'm going to put on real clothes because that will make me feel better. Uh, you know, like if I lay around in just my bed bedtime jammies, I feel way worse. So I put on a shirt that I knew would feel good, and then I put on my jeans, and I wore my distilled jeans. And that is what I'm going to tell you about right now uh, because distilled jeans are just awesome. They feel so good that even when you're sick, like me, they're the perfect thing to wear. I felt so comfortable. I took a nap in them today. They're just amazing. Distilled, and that's spelled D-S-T-L-D, has revolutionized the fashion industry with their timeless luxury grade denim. So you get jeans that would normally cost you hundreds starting at just $75. It's insane how affordable these jeans are. It's amazing. They eliminate excessive markups by refusing to work with middlemen, just like us. That's what we wanted to get rid of. We want to make our products and and our content and give it straight to people, get rid of all the middle stuff. They ship directly to you for free and guarantee the fit, or they'll send you a new pair until they're perfect. 
Distilled jeans are built to last and will be a staple in your closet for years. Now, go to distilled.com slash badchristian right now and get $10 off your first order. That's dstld.com slash badchristian for $10 off right now. Five letters, dstld.com slash badchristian. Now, I did want to say one more thing about that, Matt, what you were talking about. I did wear my Emory shirt, my distilled jeans today while I was laying around, and that that did put me in a mental state. I was feeling bad. I was like, I'm going to get cleaned up and ready for the day. And so I actually changed my mentality a little bit to fight the sickness. Like, mm-hmm. obviously didn't get better. You know, as the day's going on, uh, you know, I don't, don't feel uh, totally better, but I, I feel like I won a little bit of a battle. Yeah. So I think there is really something to be said for, even with sickness, even like a cold or bacteria or a virus or something, mentally you can fight it. Your attitude can even change Absolutely. that. I guess people have been saying that forever, but well, I mean. Well, a bad attitude would do the opposite, and you'd notice every symptom, and then you'd be beat up and down and complain about it. That's not a good state, and you're going to notice more. And to actively fight it, I think, is the way to go. Can't totally back it up, but it seems to be my experience. It's like, it's like wonder, maybe it's I'll, just no yeah. different than people that are cancer fighters. Like, oh, he's a fighter or whatever. I don't know. But right. I don't concede any territory to the enemy is my well, philosophy on sickness. Yeah, you know my theory that me, that mean people live longer. I have that right. theory that like whenever I see mean people, like I have family members, I know they're going to live. They li- have lived forever <laughs> and are going to keep on living because they're just mean. They're not going to let go of the life. They want to be like critical <laughs> and awful and mean. But I want to say one thing too, Joey. Now you are plagued with kidney stones. You think you can mentally get past no. it? Because I see. No. <laughs> <laughs> you no. I was just—I don't know why this popped into my head today, but I was—I guess because I was sick and I was thinking about you guys and doing the podcast, and I was like, we went on a uh, a podcast tour, and Joey before the podcast had a, a kidney stone, a bad one, and he goes, "You know what? I'm just going to try and make it." So Matt was sick one time and played one show. Joey all. <laughs> Before every show and after every show, almost had to be taken to the emergency yeah. room, and then the very, la- <laughs> and then the very hey, last, hey, the very last con- show, you had to go to some- two. Yeah, for some context, Matt actually set up an Uber ride on his phone. He said, J- "If you want to ride, push this anytime yep. during the podcast, see, that, and an Uber will come and pick you up." Theory, the because <laughs> you know, if you had a regular job working at the grocery store, you call in sick. You know, if you have a show or a live performance. You're right. just going to fucking get up for it and do it. And you will feel better than the, the guy who stayed home from his grocery store job. For sure. If you knew but, you were giving a speech to the whatever it is on some night and you are sick, you will power through in a way that you will feel better than the person that stayed home from their w- warehouse job. Anyway, I can't back that up scientifically. I, but I, I want to say one last thing about that Joey Kidney Stone, though. Here's what's really funny. At the end, Joey made it all the way to the very end of the very last podcast live podcast we're in atlanta and then (laughs) i have to go to the emergency room at that point i think you were on some meds or whatever but you were so delirious do you remember that you just went to the bathroom and like peed and you you just came out you were so crazy you were like there was blood there was all this stuff we're like why didn't you tell somebody we could have got you in like you were so crazy we we couldn't even get you in faster. We're like, if we, I said, did you save it? You save everything. You're like, no, nah, I flushed the toilet. <laughs> the toilet full of blood. Oh my god. I mean, I toilet I told full you. of blood, and we could have got you. I mean, if we'd have showed anybody that, they would have taken you back immediately. But you were so crazy that you're like, yeah, you did the, you did the, the courteous thing. <laughs> I think I, I think my exact words were, I think I just peed some blood vessels, man. <laughs> You were insane. You were in, I've never had a, had one. I hope I never do. That anybody that goes through kidney stones for sure is, is terrible. But 
Anyway, right, sorry to go off on a tangent. something that we haven't done in a little while because there's been other things dominating the news, but there's been some some cool news in science lately. So I got some science I want to talk to you all about. Oh, hell yeah. Astrophysics, chemistry, cellular biology, mathematics, gravitation, electromagnetism, evolution. And now it's time for... Science lessons for Christians, because when it comes to science, Christians are stupid. All right. So, Joey, do you know what a yeah. chimera is? A chimera? Yeah, it's uh, it's basically when a neutron uh, mm-hmm. splits spontaneously right. because of getting too close to heat. N- nailed it. Toby, <laughs> do you know what a chimera is? A uh, kick-ass metal band? <laughs> <laughs> this is like new metal. Um. No, a chimera is an <laughs> organism that is two different uh, things put together, like a horse and a man or a, something like that. It's, a, it's two oh, species. Oh, you mean yeah. hybrid. Like a hybrid. hybrid. Right, yeah. Okay, um, gotcha. Well, it, I don't know if you've seen it in the news, but there's a recent story that's been going around uh, about how they have made human tissue growing in a pig. Have you seen it? Uh, uh, yeah, I read about it. It's just this is another Nephilim story, right? Yeah, it's the Nephilim, <laughs> essentially. Um, what, they, what they've done here is use some stem cells from a human, inject them into a pig embryo um, from the very beginning in a Petri dish, and then grow it into a real animal. And the uh, the cells that they put in there actually have grown into... Uh, into organ tissue. So the point of it is to grow human organs in a pig. That's insane. On the surface. Now, they're not there yet, but that's the, the thing they've been able to do was to cause. There is currently, this organism has human and pig DNA in one living organism. So that's where we're at now. All right. I, I want to ask the first question. Now, uh, the, the thing is, it's so sci-fi and crazy, but my, my question is, is uh, when you say it has human and pig DNA, does that mean they're... Mm-hmm mixed or are they does the dna say separate like is it a if they're trying to grow like tissue or kidneys or livers well they're separate as in so what they did was put stem cells into an uh, in utero embryo um and then they let it grow four weeks and then they went back and test and any individual cell just has one set of dna so you go back through and there's a certain amount of the cells in that organism that the dna is the human dna and then the rest of them are the pig dna basically so it, I mean, if this keeps going, are we going to have like uh, uh, a a actual hybrid of a half pig, half human animal thing? Okay, so, well, like let me back up Dr. and tell you how we got Moreau's how we got island here. or whatever. Yeah, because it gets freaky because it's humans. But it started this way. So uh, the the thing they had done before this was grow a pancreas in a rat that belonged to a mouse, which doesn't sound as freaky now, does it? Right. Not so, as freaky. So what they did was take a mouse pancreas. And put yep. the DNA from that into a rat who they had suppressed some of his other organ development to leave room for this pancreas. So they genetically selected a rat down to where it had like a, a empty space in it. And then they put in the mouse pancreas DNA and then that took and then the pancreas grew inside the rat. And then they took part of that pancreas and then put it into the mouse as a transplant and it worked. That doesn't sound that crazy because it's a mouse and a rat and it's just a pancreas. But the idea would be you could theoretically grow liver, heart, lung, whatever, maybe one day in a pig and then give it to you. It's just, it's so, okay, here's what I keep, 
this is insanity. Now, uh, it's so wild because I've been talking about forever, like uh, the AI and robots and all this stuff is going to take over the world. But I I was listening to a few podcasts this week, and I've just been thinking this idea of we are increasing actual humans. Like, if if that's the case, obviously humans are going to live longer. Obviously, mm-hmm. humans are going to be stronger, bigger. We'll probably be able to affect the mind. We're we're tra- experimenting like hell to do all that stuff. So maybe the next big stage, if you want to look at it in maybe evolutionary terms or whatever, is we're going to have you know giant, you know eight eight foot, completely ripped men and women who are mm-hmm. unbelievably smart. And it's going to be a really crazy time in history because people go, well, what's the moral issue about that? But there's going to be a country that probably just goes, yeah. We're doing it. That's right. And, and then, then everybody There's else will have yeah, to do it. How are we going to stop it? So this one brings up a lot of ethics things, which is particularly always the interesting thing to discuss. Um, for one thing, this is not federally funded. There's a law that says there's no federal funding wow. for this type of thing because it's, it's freaky. So this one's privately funded. It took four <laughs> – uh, what did I have here? It took uh, 40 people working on this for four years to just get here. And it's not wow. quite – all it does is prove that it's kind of possible, basically. Right. Um, and it, this wasn't even government funded, but you got to figure when this thing can start saving lives, you can't, you just can't stop it. Like you can say, I right. think that's freaky. You can't make hybrid pig, uh, human pig Animal hybrids, abuse. but if it could make a heart to save your wife, you, of course, just, you got to do it right. immediately. Right. And if other people, right. what if they're doing it in other countries in our countries, the moral one where your wife has to die right. when her heart goes bad. That's, that's insane. You won't be able to, to stop that. We did the thing on CRISPR a while back. If China runs away with CRISPR, we won't be able to, like, you won't be able to resist doing it. What are they going to be? All way better and smarter than us. And I I heard that same, I heard Shane Smith on Joe Rogan talk about that. I'll give them credit for that. But that's, I mean, that's true. What are you going to do? It becomes an arms race. So here's one of the ethical things about it, even. It can really save a lot of lives if we can do this. Now, I can understand the opposition, but I just don't see any way that you're going to hold it back. It takes, he can go from a single cell to a 200-pound pig in nine months with a, you know, and then I'm not, they're not making full human organs there, but that's right. That uh, the, the, the donor list for a lot of organs is about three years. So you could start with a single cell, grow a pig that makes an, builds an organ for you in not just nine months. So I just don't see any way that that's not where we're headed and what we're going to do. So, you know, get used to it as much as people like to oppose stuff and stuff like that. But here's the crazy thing. They check this pig out and they found a bunch of uh, they found a bunch of the human DNA in this pig, and they found it in the a bunch of it in the heart, a bunch in the liver, and they found a bunch of human DNA neurons also in the pig. Oh man! Which is completely right. Uh, I mean, you know, stem cells are capable of making lots of different yeah. types of tissue. That's what's that's why stem cells are important things. They can make this kind, that kind, skin cells, heart cells, whatever. But they, in this case you know, randomly or, or I don't know how it works really, but they produce neurons. So there's human DNA neurons in this pig. So the ethical concern there is you got to really be careful because what if we in the lab of ultimately or eventually are creating weird animals that have human-like consciousness is that word yeah. people have. You might be able to Planet make a pig of the that has a human consciousness if you're not careful would be a, a theoretical concern that we're going to have to deal with. Gosh. I mean, and maybe I mean, you can... can't make consciousness. We don't really know, but nonetheless, that's now a question. Pretty freaky, huh? Yeah, I mean, that, that, and then that, 
it's going to get crazier and crazier. And then there'll be, there'll be rights for that. And then who can you marry a half pig, half human and all, all that stuff's coming. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Mar- marriage rights. I believe it, it's it between will. one man and one pig. Right. One man and one pig chimera with a, li- a yeah. half liver. And, and saw- do they, and, and like Christians, will they believe that there's a soul? Like, will there be half, half pig people in heaven? It's just, it's, it's too, it's too much. It's all so freaky and crazy. Like, it's just, it's really wild. Like I, I was thinking, I had this thought today too. Think about this. It, for the longest time, science fiction books and movies have been becoming real, right? Like, you know, it was, you know, or, or even go back to like James Bond where there's a video phone. And then, you know, I grew up without any cell phone or idea of a computer or cell phone in my, you know, a computer was the most foreign thing that only, it was a hidden in this giant and in this room and it, you know, it just did green, a green screen or whatever. And in my lifetime, all this stuff has changed. Now you're telling me even this, like now we're, now we're headed to where, I mean, this other science sci-fi stuff is going to start happening more and more to where what I'm seeing is like people are predicting things through the arts, I guess, and through the written word. And now we're seeing it like it's becoming real like that. that, I mean, the, I, what, isn't it like the Island of Dr. Moreau? Is that what it was called? Something like that, where he spliced humans uh, together with animals. You know, it, it, it's this movie it, is an old movie and they, they remade it many years ago. But I mean, it's really starting to happen. And what's really funny when we watched all those movies, even like Star Trek or whatever, you, you just thought that's goofy or it wouldn't matter. Oh, man, that's hilarious to where now there is already mm-hmm. we're becoming so aware that there might be a real moral issue with oh, it. Oh, there's like going to be tons of like, moral you know what I mean? issues. Like, yeah. That's insane. There's tons of like, them. And, but here's maybe the, it's good, but the shift crazy. I've had is to recognize that there's no stopping it in the idea that, like, let's look at the uh, Manhattan Project and the nuclear bomb. That required unbelievable resources, the best minds ever, controlled by the government to make to, to do this stuff. And that's where we yeah. were at. And that wasn't long ago. But the future of the wild things is just going to be stu- – there's going to be no resources involved. It's just, I don't know, yeah. genetic right. programming and gene editing. And, you know, they're, they're, it's not high-resource stuff like an, an, an A-bomb or an H-bomb. We're just talking about stuff you could do in your own pe- – right. you know, like as it gets easy and you can do gene editing sequence by a laptop with high powered computers or uh, yeah. chemical weapons and stuff like that, it just it doesn't it's not a high buy in. So that's the freaky thing. Meaning, and then there's all these different governments that will have access and ability to it. So it, the future clearly to me is oh you absolutely aren't going to stop anything. It's just how are you going to roll with it will be the only question. It's just unbelievable, man. I tell you what, here's what's crazy. I didn't even. I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, I knew you were going to do this science segment, and I actually looked at Joey's internet history before you did this. <laughs> it was, can, can you grow an adult-sized penis on a rat? On a, pi- on a rat and pig. <laughs> on a rat. Yeah. Can you grow an adult-sized penis on a rat? Was It was like it was like all these different sites where Joey was looking that up. So, anyway, can we bring on well, our guests? Yes. Well, real, yes, we yes, can. Yes, let's do that. Let's t- let's I'll bring him on, Joey. You, wanna, you, wanna, you got something to say, and I will dial up our guest here. Yeah, I sure do. And uh, this company is talk about monopolizing good snack market. You want to talk about good snacks? It's almost synonymous with NatureBox. And I know this firsthand because I just got a package in the mail with some of the best snacks I've ever put in my mouth, including the Santa Fe corn sticks. Oh, gosh, those things are good. Oh, my Lord. 
and uh, that wheat chocolate cookie bites. Um, I mean, if you like dried fruit, they've got mango orange fruit chews, a lot cream of keto brulee, options, peanuts, a lot of keto options. It's just it's it really is super tasty. And uh, they they've for those of you that maybe checked out Nature Box for a while, they recently made their service even better. Now you can order as much as you want, as often as you want, with no minimum purchase required, and cancel any time. There's guys, there's for those of you that haven't tried it, there's over a hundred snacks to choose from and they're constantly adding delicious new snacks. So with Nature Box, you're never gonna get bored. You're never gonna put all the artificial colors and flavors and sweeteners in your mouth that you know aren't good for you. Me, I'm gonna be turning 40 soon. And so I'm thinking, man, how long do I want to be alive for my kids? So I can't be <laughs> snacking on Doritos and Cheetos and all that stuff. I gotta be putting some good stuff in my mouth. And so here's what we'd like for you to do. Uh, it's it's too good to pass up. Honestly, NatureBox is offering our fans 50% off your first order when you go to naturebox.com slash badchristian. So naturebox.com slash badchristian, 50% off your first order. And if you ever try a snack you don't like, NatureBox will replace it for free. Don't pass this up. Do it for your kids and grandkids, just so you get to meet your great-grandkids. All right, yes. here comes Nicholas. Joe, you know Nicholas a little bit, huh? You got a, a history. A little bit. Yes, he was. An episode I enjoyed. Nicholas, how's this going? Are you? Going do we really go by good. Nicholas or Nick? I'm sorry. You have to forgive uh, me. Nicholas. Got it. It's the legend. It's the legend himself. What do you think about all this stuff, man? Like, are you just kind of sitting <laughs> back in your libertarian chair thinking, I told you so, you should have voted Gary Johnson? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking it day to day like the rest of the country. Well, seriously, on that, is that um, like most of the the country, as I'm identifying and looking at them, they they seem extremely emotionally driven in this time. And I wonder, somebody from your point of view, um, do you how do you actually feel about the state of the country and the president who has won? Not even in the logical, we'll get into the libertarian stuff and how that works, but you as an individual with your reference frame, how does it strike you? You know, I I feel like, the the things that made our country great, the the idea that we're an open and welcoming society that invites people from all over the world to come here to seek a better life. I see that vision uh, of what America is being replaced with a false nostalgia, uh, a, you know, somebody left on leave it to beaver mm-hmm. over and over and over in some kind of endless loop. And now we're convinced that if we just went back the good old days, the fifties or the sixties right. when everybody stayed in their place and nobody talked back and, you know, good, hardworking Ward Cleaver, white guys were in charge of everything, that everything would be awesome again. And the world doesn't work that way. We don't mm-hmm. move backwards. And if we do move backwards, we actually, it doesn't usually go well. Never a good thing, right? No. So the limited government thing is among the most attractive to me when you talk about libertarian ideas and liberty is just the the size of of government itself. So when we look at, and I want to talk about immigration and refugees and all this stuff, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think it would be helpful if we, it seems to me to be most helpful if we can just try to get a grip on what is it that we actually need or look to government to do. Because that seems to be what I feel like we're kind of confused on is what do we need the government for and what are we supposed to do? That's kind of the, what I'd like to explore a little bit. So the way I approach issues, politics, my life 
is with this presumption of liberty. You know, mm-hmm. my default position is that you know better how to raise your kids or run your business or, you know, which God to worship, if any. That's something that's a decision for you. And that all of the decisions for how you live your life should be yours, absent some really good argument otherwise. So my default would be, you know, if you want to put it in a nutshell, as little as little state control over my life or your life as possible. Do I know how how little is possible? Not really, but less than we have now is a pretty pretty solid answer. <laughs> yeah, well, because that's the weird thing. If you start going against it, you know, people will start pushing back. Go, what we need roads, or we you got to have something, right? And the answer to that is, of course, we need the government to do something. In the libertarian frame, like, is there an ideal thing? Do do you guys agree on how large? Like, I put it this way: if the government right now is a hundred percent size, what size do you think it should be? How much do you think government really could be shrunk by and still? Matt, libertarians okay? are Amish, so they don't care about roads or. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, it pretty much. Uh, that's why I put the beard on. Um, no, it's. Uh, you know, I don't know what that answer is. And that answer is something that libertarians disagree on. You know, mm-hmm. we, we kind of run internally the spectrum from people who say, look, you know, the military and and some amount of kind of the post office and the night watchman kind of state down to people who say, look, you know, everything should be voluntary. You know, it's there's no more peaceful political philosophy than libertarianism, because the whole idea sort of the, that undergirds it is this idea that we want to eliminate force or coercion from human relationships, that we mm-hmm. don't want anyone to be able to force you to do anything. And, you know, the place where that gets sticky and kind of runs into um, kind of esoteric, tricky late night discussions over a beer is when you get to things like, well, what if somebody else is trying to force you to do something? Can you stop them? Can other people stop them? Where where does that line get drawn? Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, you know, I'd be happy with a fifty percent reduction. I'd be happy with a ten percent reduction. Hell, I'd be happy with any reduction. Just just to see it not grow would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, just but you know, grow. one of the things is you have to recognize that for libertarians, it is kind of a there is sort of that philosophical lodestar of we're trying to to get to nothing more than or less than a world set free in our lifetime. So that's the goal. That's the shining city on the hill. How far are we going to get actually in my lifetime? I don't know as far as I can. It's so interesting because you you look at, you look at this election and very few people saw Trump coming. And I think now people are just like, well, people voted for Trump because they wanted something just so different and they weren't trusting the two political parties. Well, if Trump, completely flops and destroys things, does that give libertarians a wider door open for next election? Like people's like, man, we're trying everything. Now let's go third party. We already tried to elect the Hollywood loony. Let's now go for a different party. I think so. I I mean, I think there's a real opportunity for the libertarian party going into 2018 and then again into 2020. And the, the reason is we present a fundamentally different political philosophy from either the Republicans, whether it's more traditional Republicans or Republicans under Trump, or the Democrats, because both of them, when it comes down to it, what they're selling you is we're going to fix it, right? Trump, Trump's big thing is I'm going to fix all these problems that make it so you know, you're, you're not making as much money or you don't feel like you're respected or whatever. 
Um, and the Democrats are, are selling the same thing, maybe a slightly different flavor of, you know, we're going to fix all your problems with racial injustice or, you know, poor people, we're going to make them not be poor or whatever. Libertarianism is, is fundamentally different and, and basically is a personal empowerment kind of thing where we say, look, you actually are what make America great. You have the power to build a better life for yourself, for your family, for your community. And what we're all about is removing those impediments where government is, is slowing that down or stopping it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had a law that said only taxi cabs could pick people up, well, then you'd never have Uber, which is kind of what the taxi cabs tried to do in a lot of cities is convince the yeah. city council to make a law that says only taxi cabs can pick you up because that kind of disruptive, innovative human potential is something that you can't control. And that's really one of those, those realizations that gets you to libertarianism is you can't plan the really great stuff. The really great stuff comes from people having visions that are different from the status quo. And so it won't fit into the frame where we've been before. And so I think that that political philosophy has some currency as a different flavor from the two old parties, that, that it's about empowering individual Americans to build the best community they can. It, it's freaking me out right now because you look so much like Shia LaBeouf. Do you ever get that? <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like he's tricking us and he's snuck on here and it's not, I'm not really talking to Nick. Here's what I want to say, like what you were just saying though, about the libertarian party. Like, so why do you think like this year seemed like the year to me that the third party really would have gained some serious ground. Yeah, seriously. And, it, and it feels like, like I thought Gary Johnson was doing such a good job as far as it, he was, he was coming across at least a little more sane, a little more uh, fun, uh, maybe had a little bit of personality. And I, I don't know where you guys stand, but why, what do you think hurt the most this year? Like, or, or maybe not hurt in the right word. What, what kept the a third party from doing more this year? Um, it's always fear. You know, people are afraid. They're afraid of who the other person might get in place. Um, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at this election. You can look at it as we didn't get 5%, so we don't get federal matching funds or whatever. I look at it from the perspective of we've tripled our previous record vote total over the 45-year history of the party, and all signs are good. We covered the spread between the two old party mm -hmm. candidates for the first time that we run a presidential candidate in those 45 years. But, you know, I think that what the two old party candidates did in this election may go beyond just being kind of shady and, and, and move into something where it may be immoral or unethical. Because what they did was they yeah. convinced their supporters that that other person is such a terrible person that mm -hmm. the country will be physically damaged, that, that people will be hurt. And they, they gave all their supporters this psychological angst and pain, you know, that they're so afraid yeah. of what's going to happen. Yeah. And the, the reality is that they're friends, right? Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are actually friends. They, they yeah. go to each other's social <laughs> events. <laughs> they recognize that this is a big facade and you, you rile up your base and you get them scared. Yeah. That's right. But to me, that seems cruel to to their supporters to, to put them in that place where they don't have control over the outcome, but they have to feel all that pain. They have to feel all that emotional damage. I don't think that that is a moral thing to do to people. And I think the broader lesson that we can all learn is maybe the president shouldn't be so damn powerful. You yeah. know, maybe if you're that afraid of who gets that office, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe take away a couple of powers of that office so well, that the, the, it yeah, does. That's why I wanted to talk about some of that stuff because I think you're right. It's like we don't mind harming the country for the political gain that Clinton or Trump or whoever it is. It's like it doesn't matter if you throw the country into disarray and make them feel pain and hate. That'll be, that benefited. That's the the game that they ultimately wound up playing. It seems goofy to me, and it seems like it. The, the whole point of it was to split the country up. And just as long as you come out on the good side of that math, which is both of their gamble at the end, then right. you right. know, and one of them won and one of them lost. But the, both of them were playing the game of seems like harming the the general public in a way, and that that's really disturbing. And uh, so, yeah, the role winds up being this really powerful one. And I want to know what is uh, your point of view on Trump so far. Do are you opposed to all the stuff he's been doing or is some of it good? Like, for instance, if he's going to get rid of the EPA, that sounds like a libertarian thing. But then again, doing it by executive order kind of who knows what, what tell do us you about miss that. him on The Apprentice? Yeah, um, you know, I haven't seen the new Schwarzenegger Apprentice. <laughs> I saw a little bit of it the other night. Boy, George seemed like he was doing a good job, but I didn't get yep. to the boardroom scenes because I got bored. Um <laughs> And on, I only watched The Apprentice when Pendulet was on because I'm just like a Pendulet fan. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. as soon as he got kicked off, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Right. Uh, you know, the, the stuff that he's doing that may turn out well, um, one of those executive orders was, you know, you got to get rid of two regulations for every regulation you put in place. That theoretic, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic about that. You know, now if it ends up that the one regulation that gets put in place is one that, you know, gives some great power to some of his corporate cronies and lets them, you know, like destroy a wetland to to make a bunch of money. I'm not going to feel so good about it anymore. Right. But generally I, I would like to see less government regulation kind of meddling in our lives, you know, in areas where it, it's just, it's slowing people down. It's, it's hurting people. You know, one of the, one of the things that I'm hopeful for is the the repeal of the ACA. I have a small business here in Phoenix. We have a a used car dealership. And, you know, we're, we're less than 15 employees. We're not in a position financially to be able to do group coverage. They don't make small group coverage anymore. I went out and, and priced it. It doesn't exist. What ends up happening is you get a bunch of people all buying stuff off of the marketplace. Well, in Arizona, the marketplace is one company. Blue Cross is the only company that's still in the state. Everyone else has left. The, the premiums, you know, are... Our, one of our employees is looking at spending a quarter of his monthly wages on health insurance for a plan with like a $6,000 deductible that will never cover anything. Um, or he's going to pay a, a tax or a penalty, you know, to the government for being not able to afford this crappy health insurance. Like that whole system is so broken mm-hmm. and it's broken in ways that I think if you're not an individual who who has a job so you make enough money you're not super subsidized or a small business owner you don't see mm-hmm. the damage that's being done in in the name of some sort of grand plan to to insure everybody which is is just it's the worst of both worlds right because instead of having government healthcare which would probably be pretty bad or just like private insurance which you know was not great what you have is you have big government getting together with big business so that big government says you got to buy big businesses crappy product or else we we find you. Yeah, like yeah, that's a disaster. Small small businesses seem to, it feels like seem to be hurt worse than all. But let me I, I got to do a little business here, and I'm gonna give you a tip for your for your 
for your business, and that's the Zip Recruiter. And then we're going to get <laughs> on to talking about refugees, which is something right. that I'm really interested in. But if you need more people at your car business, I would suggest you should try Zip Recruiter. I don't know if you know it or not, but you know you can find the best candidates possible by using Zip Recruiter. You can post your job uh, to all of the different outlets all at once. Uh, you can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. You just post once and watch the qualified candidates roll in. Um, Zip Recruiter actually posted to over 200 job sites, as social media, Facebook, Twitter, all with a single click. You don't have to juggle emails. You don't have to put out a help wanted sign. You will be able to quickly screen the candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Uh, so find out today why Zip Recruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium businesses. So here's the coolest part about it. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. So there's no reason for anybody out there who might be hiring at all to give this thing a shot. It's a really good platform. You will like it. So you got to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time. Try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. So what is the deal with the refugee stuff. And uh, I, I find typically that libertarians are really up on the constitution as they're big on that. Um, what's going on with that? Is Trump acting rightly or wrongly constitutionally or not? Yeah, is it about safety? Is it? Yeah. How, really? how does, how, you know, how do you settle this one with Liberty? Okay. So I'm also a lawyer. So I'm careful when people say, is it constitutional or not? It's wrong. What's wrong? It's, it's wrong. I think to single out people of a religion and say, you're not allowed to come to this country. And then to not only single out people of a religion, but single out um, refugees, people who have been displaced or harmed by wars, sometimes wars that we participated in. And basically, um, you're taking the, the most vulnerable people, the, the least of these, as it were. Um, and I, I think that, you know, how you treat those people, the people who have no power, the people who are in fear for their lives, the people who are facing um, potential death and, and children dying in bombings and telling them that we're just going to slam the door that, you know, no one can come here. You know, you had the press secretary standing up with a straight face saying, oh, yeah, well, that five year old, you know, of Iranian extraction who was kept away from his mother in the airport. You know, you never know about those five year olds. He could be dangerous, too. Like the, the sheer inhumanity of the policy um, morally, I think, makes it disgusting. Some people have said it's not a Muslim ban because, you know, they picked seven countries. Problem is that Donald Trump in a speech in December of 2015 said, I want to ban all Muslims from coming to the country. Mm -hmm. And then Rudy Giuliani was just on TV saying, yeah, Donald Trump came to me and said, how do we ban Muslims? And but but can we do it legally? Um, which is part of the reason why the acting attorney general resigned, because the first rule of a legal discrimination club is that you're not allowed to talk about a legal discrimination club. Mm -hmm. If you want something to be facially legal, like, hey, I just picked countries, a bunch of public statements saying, yeah, what we're really trying to do is is stop Muslims from coming. But uh, we're going to call it we're just picking countries. Um, is there any truth that, that he said, like, it, it was started and enacted by Obama back in 2015? Like, is that is he, they're playing off that as if that was a reason. Right. But that that's not really the case. It's it's not accurate. In 2015, Obama had uh, a policy that dealt with certain people from one country um, 
the, the list of countries has been on a list. But I mean, some of this blanket stuff is just, it, right. it's insane. You had people who were lawful permanent residents, people who have green cards, right? The, the key words in that are lawful and permanent. And you had, you know, just an executive order saying, hey, by the way, these people who have a legal right to live in the United States permanently, uh, yeah, we're just going to kick them out today. Like, Gosh. literally, we'll put them back on a plane. Ooh. Or worse, um, they did this to uh, a couple of Yemeni men in, I believe, Dulles. They held them without lawyers. And in order for Customs and Border Patrol to let them go, they coerced them into signing I-407 forms, which were renouncing or giving up their green card status in the United States. And then they deported them. So it sounds scary. <laughs> like, I mean, it sounds like that, that this is real bad. Now, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, so your take on this is, in fact, that it is bad and this could even lead to worse. Or is there is there any, like, hope for these refugees? Like, it, they're saying that's a, what, a 90-day a uh, detention, 120 day, whatever it is, something like that. Um, and then they can come back, but might not be true either, right? It's also, it's all refugees. Uh, yeah. It's not just the seven countries. It, it's all refugees. No one can seek asylum in this country at all. Where, where do they go? Just bat, try to find another country that'll be caring and loving and Christian to them <laughs> instead of America or just, just... I believe our, our government is telling them they should try Canada. Wow. Now, we literally have the United States government saying, hey, you know where you might find some real freedom and some, you know, comfort and might treat you properly as a refugee running from a war-torn area? Canada. Mm-hmm. Would I be wrong to say that you would also have be, be against the amount of other uh, stuff we do in other countries or have been doing for the last administration too, as far as like, absolutely. I mean, haven't we been bombing uh, innocent Brown people with drones for, for a good while? Yeah. Um, one of the ways to deal with part of the refugee crisis is less making of the refugees. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a good idea is uh, the fewer of them you bomb, <laughs> you know, it's um, there's a, a neat and sort of tragic vicious circle where as you may know, uh, President Obama drone murdered um, Anwar al, al Anwar al Awlaki, which is a very difficult name for an English speaker to pronounce, um, because he was suspected of being Al Qaeda. But then, about a month, give or take a month later, they drone murdered his 16-year-old uh, American citizen son, Abdul Rahman al Awlaki, um, in Yemen, and. I believe the press secretary at the time said, well, you should have had a better father. Oh, God. And then in the latest raid where the, the one U.S. soldier, who apparently we have boots on the ground in Yemen now supporting Saudi Arabia's war there, in this raid where a bunch of people died, one of the people who was killed by being shot through the neck was the eight-year-old daughter of Anwar al-Awlaki. Um, Nasser? Uh, yeah, so an eight-year-old got shot in the neck mm -hmm. in uh, one of our raids in Yemen. So now... Trump and Obama share that in common. Mm -hmm. um, they both killed uh, innocent children. So I tell you, drone yeah. murdered sounds really freaky. If you had a, I mean, it's bad to murder. War's bad, but when it's done by those damn drones, it really sounds worse, doesn't it? Yeah, like the, the, something about the drone just doesn't sit well with people if they have to confront it. What's your opinion, Nicholas? And I would say this is a little less political question, more of just human analysis. Like, do you think that Trump? Is is he is he motivated by shot factor and just like I'm gonna do whatever I want to do and show the people that I'm in charge, piss people off, 
and then maybe he's got his fingers crossed that it'll turn out okay? Or does he really think we've got to go extreme to protect this country and it's going to be an unpopular decision, but I'm the man to do it. I'm going to make this unpopular decision. Based on his his prior history, based on his business dealings, the way you know he would screw over subcontractors and just be like, F you, I'm not going to pay you mm-hmm. um, in spite of contracts and stuff like that. And his sort of, uh, how to put this gently, his interesting revisionist history of his success in business where somehow all the failures are successes and the successes are successes too. Um, I think it's just kind of a... a he needs to be, he needs his ego stroked, basically. He needs to feel like he's the dude in charge. Um, and I don't get a lot of sense that he wants to be the dude in charge out of any sort of civic or patriotic duty. I just feel like he needs to be the dude in charge. And so he's going to do what he wants. Um, his, his vision of how free trade works, of how business works, is very anti-libertarian and, and, and very anti-human, really. He subscribes to this very kind of nasty version of economics where every business deal is, a, you know, it's a fixed pie. If I get some, you don't get some. And so as much as I get is as much as you don't get. And modern economists realize that we don't have a fixed pie, that if you create a new product, if you create a new business and you trade with other people, everybody does better. And yeah. is that is that the libertarian idea, correct me if I'm wrong here, just uh, or economic idea that production is the basis of a good economy? Um it's it's mostly just the the ability for people to make voluntary transactions where mm-hmm. where two people come together and I get something from you and you get something from me and we both feel like we're better off. You know, that that fundamentally is smarter than any one smart person. And his background in doing real estate deals, especially real estate deals, where a lot of them depend on like, you know, basically who can you pay off in local government? Who can you get to kind of fix things for you? Um, They are a very zero sum game where Mm -hmm. if he wins, someone else loses. If he gets the, he tried to get the city council in Atlantic City. There's this little lady named Vera Koking who had a house in Atlantic City. And it was next to where Trump was building a casino and he wanted a covered limousine parking lot so that high rollers wouldn't get rained on. And she wouldn't sell her house because she wanted to keep her house. So he got the Atlantic City government to condemn her house to give it to him. Like right. that's that's yeah. who he is. Yeah. You get Institute you're, for Justice def- fought and beat it. So he didn't get her house. Um, she died in that house. But that's what he wanted. Yeah, that's who he is. Yeah, that makes sense. You're definitely educating me. So Morley is just a terrible guy, and he's going to do things in a way that uh, I get. I mean, do you see the right buying into all this? Like the, the people that voted for him, do you see a, that? Do you think they're going to stay on his side, or that they could turn on him? Uh, that's hard to say. I think they will probably stay on his side as long as he's able to sell them the idea that he's helping them. I mean, if you look at a lot of the people who are supportive of this, the the refugee ban and, and, you know, keeping Muslims out, they are people who are convinced that somehow people of a different faith, people from different countries, that they're coming to take our jobs, that they're going to hurt us, that, you know, he's the, the big guy who's going to protect us. It's a very tribalist kind of politics. And there are people who go in for that, right. um, who don't feel like, everybody has human dignity. Mm-hmm. They feel yeah. sort of like Americans have a little more because we're Americans. 
So yeah. Well, we're uh, you know, this this podcast is the Bad Christian Podcast, and we often try to make parallels between the church and politics, and really just try to get a grip on power dynamics and structures and how stuff goes, which is which is why this is interesting to us. And we're going to do some more work this week and try to think about uh, how to care for people and refugees, because that's kind of top of mind for us. So just so everybody knows that our next episode, we're going to focus on that in, in another way. And what I want to focus on there is the idea of charity um, versus the idea of the government taking care of people. So I know libertarians have a pretty good point of view on that, or a strong one at least, um, in the sense that is it's it seems wrong from your philosophy to confiscate wealth from some people to take care of other people. But if that's the case, how does it really work out that we should be able to even care care for people? Wow, um, that's a that's a big one. So if you're if you're looking at those sort of things, like what you can do, um, my wife uh, found a charity that we give to. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Carry the Future that supports Syrian and other refugee mothers with um, supplies for like baby carriers and stuff so that they're able to care for their uh, infant children um, in these camps and in, in tough situations. So, and we do some work with refugee resettlement here in, in Phoenix um, as much as we can, but this is going to get a little deep and philosophical. So, so go with me here. Go for it. Here. Somebody once told me that every time that you don't ask for help, you deny someone else the opportunity to be helpful. When uh, when you delegate the task of caring for your fellow man mm-hmm. to a bureaucrat in a government agency that's probably taking, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent. Let's say, let's be generous. Let's say only like 25 percent in overhead to pay salaries and whatnot. Not only are, are the, the people who are in need getting less, but you've given away your opportunity to to cultivate a moral character you've given away your opportunity to actually care for another human being you've you've given that to the government you've you've you know you've rendered that to caesar you said hey you know who's not going to care about syrian refugees mm-hmm. this guy you know why because i pay my taxes that i mean maybe it works right maybe it's it's okay maybe it does okay but what kind of a society do we cultivate when we delegate that task of loving our fellow human beings to a bureaucrat and like a nine to five job, you know, if he or she is paying and they may be a great bureaucrat, but you've given up your opportunity to develop morally and ethically. Uh, and I think that that's the biggest problem with government charity as opposed to, to individuals help. Yeah, it really, yeah, that, that, totally hits me because uh, it makes it more it mm-hmm. makes people an issue and not people and when you when you take it into your own hands it's, i think that's one of the biggest problems in the church the church goes hey we'll do this one big event and help this poor neighborhood and then we did our job and now we can go back to yeah, our and then you feel like you're off the hook because the, the big organization did it yeah yeah you're yep. off the hook. I, I pay my tithes we help that people you know it's, it's very right. similar in that way politics and and religion are very similar in that way that's so true so is that what you're saying like try to find uh, are there options that that are becoming more clear that way, where you can actually have a say in how your money goes and, wh- and what you're doing? We're going to be talking about in the next episode too. But um, you said you're you're you and your wife are picking a charity that can instead of just allowing your taxes or something, you, you guys are being proactive on your own. Right. How about this? Is there any evidence to support the fact that libertarians are more charitable or do more on their own than de- stuff they delegate to the government? I don't mm-hmm. think there's any studies that show it. Um, I just know the people that I know 
are are always very mm-hmm. they're they're very conscious of their their duty to their fellow human beings. Um, you know, we had a here in Phoenix, there was a young lady from um, northern Arizona who was in an abusive relationship. She was just getting out of it. And I got contacted by some local libertarians who were putting together a fundraiser to, to get her a car so she'd be able to have transportation because one of the things that her, you know, um, violent partner had controlled was her means of transportation. Um, they were looking to find a place for her to live. And they were doing those things to help another person. You know, right now I'm, I'm sort of looking out. Um, a friend of mine in Colorado knows someone from Algeria who's looking to get out of Algeria and get to the United States. It's not on the seven country list, so that's good. Um, but I'm trying to help, you know, find housing or a job or something for them to to find for him to find a better life here in the United States. And those individual things, there, it's harder, right? And don't get me wrong; it's harder to go out there and find a charity. It's harder to go out there and actually help somebody instead of watching the PowerPoint, you know, of hey, look what you know the kids from church did on the mission trip. Look at these cool pictures of you know this this school we built in peru isn't it pretty like i mean that's easy (laughs) you know going out and engaging with people in your own i mean i i promise you there are people in your own community who need your help who who if you're willing to just you know go to lunch with them or pop for you know some guy to to get a haircut or give away Mm -hmm. you know your old suits um when i worked at the public defender's office in colorado we had a, a closet full of client clothes that were donated by other attorneys, you know, people change sizes or whatever, so that our clients, even though they were indigent and couldn't afford a suit, that they would be able to go into court at a point where they're facing a loss of liberty and and show up with dignity and respect. And, and we would treat them with dignity and respect. And that that kind of treatment made an impression on me and is so much more humane than, you know, like here in Arizona, they make people show up in shackles and like jailhouse stripes, which someone's already facing a loss of liberty. Why do you need to degrade them as a person? Like, what what does yeah. that do for anyone? I like that aspect yeah. of it, just the personal responsibility of, you know, if you have liberty, the, the problem with that is you have responsibility for your for your own actions too. You're just not, you're not counting on somebody to take care of everything on your behalf. It's, it's up to you what you make of stuff and life. And I mean, it goes without saying, or it should go without saying, there's a lot of people who don't, have the same advantages that I do or other people do. But nonetheless, it seems like empowering people with liberty and their own ability to change their situation always still seems better in a sense to me um, and tunes the whole community into that as opposed to just taking care of people or delegating it to be, like you said, a, a bureaucrat's job. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so last question, um, knowing what you know now in this first couple or first month, really, or are we better off with Hillary? Good question. I don't know. I I don't think measurably, no. I think it's different. Um, You know, PJ O'Rourke said that he he thought she was better because she was evil, but she was evil within normal parameters. Yeah, (laughs) right. So true. (laughs) She would have been more predictable, but, you know, this is a long... Politics is a long game. This country's been around for a long time. We've ridden through some really bad stuff. Like, look up, you know, Andrew Jackson's presidency. Look up some of this stuff, and you'll realize that we're a very resilient country because of that dynamism, because of the people who come here, because of their love of freedom. 
Yeah. And we can ride out a lot of stuff. And it may be that the more reckless one will in term be less dangerous because reckless people make mistakes. <laughs> Let's hope you're right. Definitely a little scarier. Yep. It's definitely a little scarier <laughs> than usual, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. We sure do appreciate it for sure. It, this is very enlightening for me. The biggest thing that bothers me is how quick people are to immediately turn on each other. And that's the thing that I hate the most about this so far, this Trump presidency is you just get everybody on social media just yelling at each other, saying this. And like you said, even with third parties, just saying third party will ruin it. That's why Trump won because of a third party. That's why. And it's all scare tactics, which I think is part of the system. It's not about people. Again, it's just about this, you know, uh, this whole system, political system that is just trying to keep us like we're, we're up, we should be upset or we should be down or things are so bad or, or whatever it might be. So hopefully, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking to somebody with a, at least a little bit of grace and clarity that can explain some things. So thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Nicholas Sarwark, the chairman of the libertarian national libertarian committee. Thank you for coming on today. Appreciate it. Good seeing you, man. That was actually Shia LaBeouf. Absolutely was. If if we found out that was Shia LaBeouf, like tomorrow, would you be? Well, he's known for, you know, his, crazy experiments. I mean, doing that stuff. Yeah. You know, I think that's what I it is. I know. All right. Do we got time for the best part of the podcast or we don't always, always. Okay. All right. Kick it. In a world where even though you're sick, you feel horrible, your head's hurting. You can't feel your right arm. You're still going to bring the damn truth. My name's Toby Morrell, and this is the damn news. Woo! Woo! It's right, Matt. I'm starting to feel better now. Wake my wife. I'm going to wake Jessica up. We're going to make love. You feel better already? Wow. Just from getting up and going unstoppable, to work. Unstoppable badass. There you go. That will definitely help you get the blood flowing. One, 100% chance that won't happen, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bouncing off of what uh, uh, your story earlier, your science segment, Matt, um, this comes from roving reporter Austin Lell, and it comes from thehardysoul.com. This is, uh, life is getting wild, man. First paralyzed human treated with stem cells has now regained his upper body movement. Imagine losing control of your car and waking up in the hospital paralyzed from the neck down. Wow. Uh, This is the story of Christopher Bozen who experienced a life-changing moment where his car spiraled out of control on a slippery uh, slippery road surface, slamming into a tree and a lamppost. Doctors warned Chris's parents that he might not ever be able to function from the neck down again. Chris was offered the opportunity to go through a potentially life-changing procedure involving stem cells, which have the capability to repair injured nervous tissue through replacement of damaged cells. The experimental Mm -hmm. procedure did not guarantee any restoration to Chris's paralysis, but to him, the risk was worth taking. Um, And here's the the results. After a mere three weeks of therapy, Chris started showing signs of improvement. And within two months, he could answer the phone, write his name, and operate a wheelchair. He had regained significant improvement in his motor functions, which are the transmissions of messages from the brain to the muscle groups to create movement. Chris recovered two spinal cord levels and made a huge difference in his movement abilities. It was the difference between minimal movement or none at all and being able to function on his own. Chris uh, regained the incredibly important aspect of independence. And so there's some future stuff that's going on. Like It shows him now he's like lifting weights over his head and all kinds of stuff. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if he'll have a full recovery, but I mean, there, I mean, 
stem cells are what, Matt? <laughs> like, I don't actually understand what a stem cell is. Or Joey, Pastor Joey, do you know what a stem cell is? All, all you've ever well, done is is protest against protest them. See, no, you right. pro- well, I know stem- that you, you don't know what they are, but you protest those bastards in a second. No, it's I, I'm surprised you didn't know this. It's very simple fact: stem cells come from stems of plants. It's just a cell that makes it's up just the stem. A, yeah, of the plant. it's like in the stalks of plants, basically, like marijuana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt, do you know what a stem cell is? Yeah, I do. A stem cell is uh, well. There's there's more than one kind of stem cell. So there's embryonic stem cells, which are the ones yep. that get protested by the people like yep. Pastor Svensson. And um, there are just the regular uh, somatic uh, adult stem cells are the other kind. Stem cells are a type of cell that can create other types of cells. So I think I said that earlier. (laughs) No, Okay, what I'm saying is most cells just replicate in and of themselves, but stem cells are capable of producing differentiated types of cells. Like they can make skin cells or organ tissue and other kinds of things like that. So, you know, I don't have a super in-depth I'll, answer I'll, to that. I'll, I'll help you out here. Stem cells are a class of undifferentiated cells that are able mm-hmm. to differentiate into specialized cells right. types. That's what I said. Commonly, stem cells come from two main sources, embryos formed during the right. bladocyst phase uh, of development, and then adult tissue stem cells. So yeah, you so were, I got it right. That's pretty close. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. So, I mean, man, that's pretty good. I, I kind of caught you off guard. That's that's pretty cool. But the 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 stems I wanted you to talk about was there was two types that I wanted you to talk about. It's either uh, sativa or indica. Yeah, it's just indica and sativa the, the, are the main those, two. Those two stems yes. have proven to really heal people. No, unbelievable. but, the, but bone uh, bone marrow is is a place that and blood are are that way. Like they regenerate. They, there's like regular cells, but they create certain types of cells. So they're like uh, yeah. wild cards. Think of it yeah. that way. If that makes yeah. sense. Joey, if you saw that guy, you would throw like a, a fake baby fetus at him, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd piss on his children. That's not even funny. I was making a joke about a fetus. You took it way too far. That's that's almost disgusting. Like I'm, I, I don't even know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep going. Please don't. That was my agenda. Roving reporter Kevin Ming. <laughs> this comes from the Telegraph. Surgeon wrote love letter to, love letter to patient after falling for her during. What's your guesses? Making love. Surgery. Colonoscopy, my friends. Colonoscopy, okay. (laughs) He loved that ass. A surgeon wrote a love letter to a woman he was treating for a stomach complaint in which which he claimed she had twanged some distant cord which had laid dormant in him for many years. Dr. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Sachendra. Uh, who's 59, uh, put pen to paper claiming the patient had induced unusually extraordinary tender feelings in his emotional setting uh, just five weeks after he performed an invasive procedure upon her in the hospital. In his letter, the infatuated consultant, who is an expert on bowel conditions, invited the woman for afternoon tea, claiming she held a power over him and adding <laughs> my... <laughs> My feelings and my emotions have taken the taken the better of my logical, rational reasoning. <laughs> but police were called after in after the patient who suffers mm-hmm. from an anxiety and depression was shocked to receive the letter after it was posted to her. Oh my gosh, what a creep! She, no, she was said to, she was said to have experienced feeling of panic, claimed she felt oh. violated, and described the horrible feeling. She had when she realized the surgeon had acquired details of her oh. home address. I tell you what, oh, that gosh. sounds like the creepiest thing, but let me try to give the surgeon the benefit of the doubt there. Um, okay. Let me say <laughs> that, I mean, just, just imagine if you worked at Subway 
it's likely that you may fall in love with right. one, of, one of the people that comes in or a fellow sandwich artist. I mean, who else are you going to be around in a given right. day? Let's say you uh, are a, a, a bartender. Don't they often hook up with people ordering drinks? Isn't that normal? Yes. So if you poor come, guy yeah. is a surgeon, who does he run into? He spends all day staring at colonoscopy screens and, right. you know, men in their 60s and 70s. I mean, that's like he, he's poured his whole life into his job. I mean, he's given it everything. When does he ever get to meet women? And when someone comes in with a colon like her, what are you going to do? I know. <laughs> a, a special colon. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you're exactly right, though. I, mean, I know for a fact Joey... With three separate females that came in uh, for counseling for their bad marriage, he fell in love all three times. I know exactly. That was all the time. Hey, I used I used to seriously think like, how can any dude get in uh, into Ghana? <laughs> what? Now, now I'm going down a road I wish I would have never gone on, oh, but I can't turn back. <laughs> like how how could any guy say like think of him in college? Hey, I'm in. I'm getting my bachelor's, but I'm going to go into pre-med so I can be a gynecologist. Like everybody would be like, dude. So, I mean, you're just after like women and looking at their privates and all that stuff. But then like there's got, obviously you have people that bring babies into this world and stuff, but no dude is into that for like any, anything sexual because I mean, you're dealing. Uh, uh, maybe not. I mean, no, dude. I don't think it's well, nobody, yeah, yeah. You know. but uh, you think I, about. Uh, I, I love my grandma, dudes, but <laughs> <laughs> I love my grandma. But no, no doctor, you know, is going to get turned on by my grandma's naked body or uh, <laughs> no, doctor. no doctor. I mean, your grandma. I I'm say no stop doctor. Right there. <laughs> I don't know why it started. No. That. I just want. I'm going to end the news here, but I just want to tell that doctor: <laughs> get your head out of the ass. Good, Good lord! Pull your head. Get out your out head out the ass, man. Your head out the ass, mother. <laughs> That's the damn news. Colonoscopy. That's a hard word to say. We're we're bringing some uh, praise, glory, honor, and reverence to these BC Club new members. Um, we worship you guys. It's Derek Gridley, Mariana Lamont, David Karsgens, Steve Lopez, Robert Howard, Garrett. Garrett McPherson, Bradley Chamberlain, Luke Davis, Oliver Neal, Olaf Christensen. You are from uh, probably Germany. Uh, Kenan Bear, Marquise Murray, Tori Zertuch, <laughs> Leanne Batten, and Leland Anderson. We love you guys. Those of you from Germany, we love you as well. Uh, yes, we, we do, do not hold any ill will towards World War II stuff. And, let's uh, just get away from that. Yeah, let's move on from there quickly. <laughs> any last announcements? <laughs> no, I hope I, everybody will come see the Emory show. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're just, we're going to do the episode later this week and we're going to talk even more about the church. We wanted to get a little background here and just see where we're at government wise and just try and get our yeah. head on straight with politics. But we're going to get into, we're going to discuss the church uh, charity, refugees, and how, how all that shakes out. Because it's quite a confusing yeah. time. So we don't know what we're going to say. Don't have strong formed opinions or anything. But we're going to look into that for the next few days, and we'll be back with that and ho hopefully some helpful information for people later in the week. Yeah. I, I, and we're just trying to keep it light, you know, serious time. But Yeah, yeah. I hate to end the podcast like this, but I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to say the last line of the news article mm -hmm. just then. 
She said that the patient said the thing that scared her the most is in his note. He said that their song was you put your left hand in, you put your left hand out. Yeah. <laughs> you put your left hand in and you shake it all about. Yeah. Hokey pokey was their song. That's when she had to call the cops. Yeah. So. Not good waiting room music. No, 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 no. Go in pieces. <laughs> You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.